I know Josh pretty well. I know Richard some. Uh, I've known Kirby for some time. So there's a couple of y'all that I know. And I'm here. So, no, but I'm really excited to be here. Really excited to uh, just be able to worship with you guys. To be honest, the, the, the smaller group setting is a little bit of what I'm more accustomed to. Uh, worshiping with a smaller group. Uh, just the idea of us being kind of closer with one another and knowing we're not getting swallowed up in a bigger group trying to do this other thing or whatever. So this is it's really encouraging for me to be here with you guys. Uh, I think it's really cool that you all been studying the book of Hebrews because it's one of my favorite books in the Bible. So it makes it a lot easier for me to like sit in your class and talk a lot. Uh, but if you think about the book of Hebrews um, and essentially what the Hebrew writer is going through as he's talking about the book of Hebrews, I want you to think about... Think about being a Christian or, or serving God or trying to get to know God a little bit better. What makes that hard? You ever thought about like serving God and what makes serving God a little bit difficult? You know, like, like God, I, I see your word and there are so many rules and so many things that you ask me to do. God, is, there's just a lot of them. Or maybe the idea of serving God, maybe it was hard, is that it's hard to focus on Christianity when there are so many other things happening. Kind of like your job or your spouse or friends. Or, and it's just really hard to focus on Jesus. Or maybe the fact that it's been 2,000 years and Jesus hasn't returned. God, should I, should I really be focusing on this? And don't we kind of sometimes wish that God would just kind of show us a sign? Or that he would kind of zap me or give you a dream or something to let you know, hey, I exist. To let you know, hey, you can trust in my word. To let you know, hey, serve me. But you know what? That's not going to happen. And God isn't going to give you some sign He's not going to give you miracles that you would start worshiping him. And so it's interesting what the Hebrew writer does for these people who are struggling. The Hebrew writer doesn't kind of pat them on the back and say, hey, it's all going to be okay. As y'all studied the book. What the Hebrew writer does is he says you need to trust in God more. And he doesn't try to pat them on the back and say, you know what, just forget it. Do something else. Take it easy. He says, no, this is going to be tough. And what you need is not a pat on the back. What you need is more faith. In God. What you need is to trust in the greater treasure. That's kind of why the, the, the book of Hebrews breaks up the way that it does, where the first nine chapters are, is the greatness of Jesus. Because essentially what the Hebrew writer is doing is he's trying to show you the greater treasure that you have. And that greater treasure is Jesus Christ. And so what he does is that he shows us that Jesus is a superior being. And then that chapter 10 to the end shows us that because Jesus is a superior being, we need to be a superior people. And we need to live differently. And we need to be better. And so essentially what the Hebrew writer is doing is he's trying to encourage the Christian at the times during a time of difficulty. He's trying to get them to focus on the superiority of Christ. And the problem is, is that they're so blinded by what they could see that they could not see and trust in what's unseen. And isn't that the problem sometimes with us? Because who here has seen God? Feel free to raise your hand. If you have, tell me where so that I can go and see him. Like, that hasn't happened. You know? And, and so what happens is that we get so blinded by the things that we see. We get so blinded by people. We get so blinded by jobs. We get so blinded by entertainment. We get so blinded by pleasures that it makes it hard to see and focus the one being that really matters. The being that we can't see. And so what happens is we, we, we work, we work, we work, and we try to serve God, and it just gets tough because life gets harder or we get sick or someone we care about passes away. And life is this 
constant game of kind of tug and war when I'm trying to pull my faith toward God and the world is trying to pull it away from me. Again, the solution isn't give up. The solution isn't take it easy. The solution isn't just go back inside the camp and kind of take life easy like you used to. The solution is trust in God. The solution is we need faith. And we need to trust in the greater treasure. I met a lady uh, a couple of years ago in, in Boston. Um, her name is Violet. And, and she's a real interesting lady. Uh, she's an older lady and kind of, I mean, just really encouraging to be around her, really encouraging to talk with her. She cares about God. She cares about talking about God and, and, and serving God. But at that time when I was talking to her, she had been blind for three years. So she wasn't born blind. She was an older lady who through the years, her sight got progressively and progressively worse to the point that she was completely blind. So I remember asking her, and I was like, Violet, since you've been blind, what's changed? You know, like what's been different for you since you've become blind? And her response was, you know, Bill, like now that I'm blind, I can't focus on the things that I can see anymore. It makes it a lot easier for me to trust in God because I don't know the difference between a dollar bill and a $50 bill because, because I can't see it. I don't know the difference between if what I'm wearing is nice or not because I can't see what I'm wearing. I don't really care about how my house looks, not that I want to live in a mess, but I don't care about how my house looks because I can't see it. And it helps me focus on the things that I need to focus on, the spiritual things. And that's, the, that, that, that's what we need. What we need is to stop seeing with this, stop seeing with our eyes, and start seeing with our heart. Isn't that what Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1? You don't have to turn to what Paul says. I'm praying at the end of chapter 1. He says, and and my prayer is that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you can see God. So that you can see the riches of His grace. So that you can see His inheritance in the saints. And what we need to see God, what we need to trust in God, is to start seeing with our hearts and not with our eyes. So turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And so we, we, we've talked a little bit about the idea of faith and needing to trust in the greater treasure. So God wants us to trust in Him, right? He wants you to put, and you know, you, we've heard either Richard or Josh, whoever teaches, you've heard someone say, you know, you need to put all of your trust and all of your hope in God, and God will take care of you. You know, you need to rely on God and then just seek on God and put all your cares and all your worries on God, and God will be there for you. And do you always feel that way? No, do you always feel like you can trust that? And like God says that, and you're like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to do that because that just sounds good. I don't know about you, but I don't always feel that way. And the Hebrew writer gives me a reminder in why I can trust in God. Hebrews chapter 10, I want us to look at verse 23. So he says, let us hold fast to our, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Essentially what he's saying is let us trust in God without doubting. Let us put our hope in him. And here's the why. For he who promised is faithful. Not he who promised has been faithful or does faithful thing. Faithfulness is a characteristic of God. You see me and you can say Bill is tall. I can't be any shorter because tall is what I am. Faithful is what God is. And God, kind of like we said, Jesus is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. It's the same thing with his faithfulness. God has always been faithful. He's faithful today, and he will always be faithful. 
And our source of faith does not, is not based on my faith. It's not based on who I am or, or how much I can believe in God or not. The real source of faith starts with the faithfulness of God. That's the basis of faith. That's the foundation of the roots of faith. The fact that God has been trustworthy and that He always will be trustworthy. That's why faith is kind of hoping in what's unseen because that's essentially what faith is. So uh, I want you to think about this because this is the problem sometimes. So we understand God is faithful and He's always been faithful. He told the man when he was in an old age, He said, you're going to have a child. And even when that was a laughable idea, God gave him a child. And he tells that man with the one child, you're, you're going to be like the stars in the skies. And it's like, God, come on, let's be serious. That's not going to happen. And eventually it happens. And, God, and then there's slaves in this foreign land. And God tells you know what, you're going you're to have your own land. And it's like, God, are you seeing where we are right now? We are slaves. There's no way we're getting out of here. And God frees them and gives them a land. And then they're, 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 because of their wickedness, they go through different things. And God says, you know what? Through your seed, through you, Abraham, the entire world will be blessed. And Abraham, an old man, whose wife was barren, who was living in a foreign country, through this man, God did great things. And it wasn't because of who Abraham was. It was because of the faithfulness of God. So, think of this illustration. You get option A and option B. I'll write on the board, but there's already writing on the board, and I write terribly, so it's okay. There's option A and option B. Option A, I offer you two quarters right now. You get 50 cents. And you can have them right this second. And those 50 cents, you can kind of play with them, or you can go to the store and buy some bubble gum. I don't know what you can do with 50 cents these days. But, like, there's 50 cents, like, they're yours. And you don't have to wait for them. You don't have to wait next week. Like, you can have them right now. That's option A. Option B, I offer you a check of a million dollars. The only problem is that you can't cash the check for a year. Which one would you choose? It kind of seems logical to pick option B, right? And we understand I have to wait a little while before I can receive the million dollars, but the value of that is so much greater than the 50 cents I would receive right now. Why in the world would I even consider option A? Because option B is so much better. Then why do we... And so, like, logically we understand that, right? But why is it that we give up the option B that God offers us, eternal life, a relationship with Him, the greatness of Jesus. Why do we give up that option B for the 50 cents that is the pleasures of this world? For the 50 cents that is sin. Because that's what sin is. You can have sin right now. And maybe you can go to the store and, and find something that will temporarily make you feel good. But it'll be gone like that. And the blessings that God offers... We receive in part now, but the full measure of the blessings that God offers, you won't receive in this lifetime, and you're going to have to wait for them, and you're going to have to trust that God will give it to you. But when we understand that it's like 50 cents to a million dollars, it's a no-brainer, right? You know what the problem is? If I offered you that check of a million dollars, you would say, well, Bill, you're broke, so I'm going to take the 50 cents, I'm going to take what I can and leave. I think the problem is sometimes is that we think that like God's check is going to bounce or something. You know, if I'm going to try to cash it in and it might not cash. But God has been faithful. And we can trust that He will continue to be faithful in our lives.
So I get it. So God is faithful and I need to be faithful. Well, you've mentioned that word faith a lot. What is faith? Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 and 2 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. See what faith is? Faith isn't God telling you, believe in this thing that does not exist. Faith is believing in things that exist, just things unseen. And it's through our faith that we receive our commendation. So I want you to ask yourself a question. Does your faith in God, does it commend you before God? Or does it condemn you before God? Because your faith does one of the two. Either you take the 50 cents because you don't trust in God, and essentially what you're saying is, God, I don't believe in you, and eventually that faith will condemn you. Or you say, God, I'll wait the year, or I'll wait the lifetime. And eventually, God, I'll trust in you. I'll, I'll trust in your promise. I'll trust in that option B. And eventually, God will cash it, and it'll be worth so much more. So we need to have faith, and that, that's what God wants us to have. We need to trust in the greater treasure. We need to trust in the option B, and that the option B is much better because it is. But how does that look in our life? You know? Haven't we sat through countless studies where people have mentioned the word faith and you need to have faith and you need to trust in God and you need to believe in God? Have you ever ever asked yourself, like, what does that look like? What does having faith look like in my life? What does trusting in God look like in my life? So it's interesting what the Hebrew writer does is that in that chapter 11, he gives us characters of faith, heroes of faith or people who did acts of faith, however you want to take that, that's up to you. And then in in these kind of weird verses, he stops talking about the people and he starts talking about the types of people. And I want us to reread what we have there. James, during the scripture scripture reading, read it. But I want us to look at it. And this this is what we're going to focus on here. It says, these all died in faith, starting in verse 13, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. For if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. And I want want everybody to look at that last phrase. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. What I want us to do is I want us to look at what faith looks like here, and we're going to go through some of these here, because if we trust in God, and if we're really going to take that option B, this is what it's going to look like, and this is how we're going to live as we are waiting for it. Starting in verse 13, faithful people, notice what it says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Faithful people see the blessings, and it's kind of like, do you you see what it's saying? They saw it and they greeted it from afar. They understand, I'm not going to have this right now, but they're reaching out toward it. God has promised us eternal life, and we don't have that right now, but the idea is that we can see it from afar, and we're reaching out to try to gather, reaching out to try to have that. It kind of reminds me of, of the forgiving father with the prodigal son. Do you remember what the, what the forgiving father did? He saw his son from afar and he went out to greet him. 
How do you suppose the father knew that his son was going to be there that day? Do you think he kind of woke up and he's like, I think he might come today, so I'm going to go and check the window. I think the father was looking out that window every single day, hoping that his son was going to return and checking to see if his son was going to come back. And what we're waiting isn't for this, this prodigal son, this wasteful son. What we're waiting is for the forgiving father. And so every day we need to be seeking and seeing is today the day that God comes back. It's today the day that the blessings come. And we're seeing it from afar. And the idea is we're kind of running out to embrace the blessing of eternal life. But the, the, the faithful people, the faith, faith isn't just seeing and greeting from afar. In verse 13, we also see these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. The people who trust in the greater treasure, they acknowledge that they aren't from here. Faithful people acknowledge that this is not the land that they're from. And it's weird because we live in America, and America claims to be the greatest country in the world, but I think there's a better one. And that better one is heaven. You know, and, and, and we try so hard to fit in. We try so hard to look like everybody else. We try so hard to speak like the Americans, but no one here is an American. No one's in South Africa. No one's any of that. What we are are heavenites, say you will. I was, in, I, was, I was in Ecuador last year, and it was interesting because people in Ecuador are not my height, and so nothing is my size. Um, the beds kind of reached my calves. To shower, I had to, like, squint down. I, sp- I speak Spanish fluently, but even my Spanish, my dialect, is very different from theirs. You know what I could not do while I was in Ecuador? I couldn't act like I was an Ecuadorian because I didn't look like them. I didn't dress like them. I didn't speak like them. I didn't eat all the things that they ate. And eventually, I knew that I was going home. And people who trust in the greater treasure are the the same way. We don't dress like the world. We don't speak like the world. We don't desire the things that the world desires because we know we're not from here. And we know that eventually, we're going back home. That's hard. Because no one likes being an outsider. Even here in Atlanta, I am an outsider because I'm from New York City and I'm a little ruder and I'm a little more straightforward and, and this is different. No one likes being an outsider. But remember, Jesus went outside of the camp. We are called to do the same thing because we're not from here. And people will look at you and they'll laugh and they'll scoff as they did Christ and as they do any tourist who goes any other country. But that's okay because we know that where we're from is much greater than here. We're just passing by. This isn't where we want to reside. Verse 14, we see the next one. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. So the people who are trusting in this greater treasure, they don't just greet the blessings from afar. They don't just acknowledge that they're exiles, that they're strangers, but they speak in a certain way. You know, because I can acknowledge to myself that I'm not from here all the time. But that's very different from me telling other people about it. They don't don't just acknowledge it from themselves that they're from another land. They speak to other people as such. So it's interesting. So my parents are from the Dominican Republic. Uh, And if you've ever been around a Dominican, 
I'm going to be a little stereotypical now, but that's okay. Uh, they're kind of loud, and they're very patriotic. So it kind of sounds like Americans, too. Um, but if you hear them talk, I mean, they're all about the Dominican Republic, and they're all about this. Like, even in the United States of America, they're like, no, the food over there is so much better, and the weather over there is so great, and the beaches over there are so wonderful, and the fishes taste great, and this and that, and you know what they're doing? They're so enamored with their land that they can't help but talk about it. They can't help but speak about it. Why aren't we that way? We need to be so enamored with heaven, so enamored with that heavenly dwelling and that heavenly place, that we can't help but talk about it. This place where I'm going, there will be no more mourning. This place where I'm going, not the food, but who will be there? God will be there. And he'll be there eternally and we'll be with him for an eternity. Why don't we talk about it? It's kind of like we have the passport to go and we have tickets to go and we have free tickets for anyone who wants to go and we just don't ever want to share them. Because, again, that idea, acknowledging that we're strangers and exiles, that'll feel weird. That'll feel uncomfortable. If you had the cure for cancer, do you know what percentile you would be in the people of the world who had the cure for cancer? You would be the only person in the world who had the cure for cancer, which technically makes you a stranger because you are different from everybody else. If you had the cure for cancer, would you keep that to yourself? Of course not. Because you know that what you have, other people need. What you have will give life to other people. And other people are desperate to seek for it. You have something better than the cure for cancer. You have the cure for sin. Not that you will cure people, but you know who cures people. And that's Jesus Christ. And we need to be directing people toward him. But we can only do that if we are speaking of the land that we're going to. Faithful people speak in such a fashion. Verse 15, we get the, 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 the next one there. So we've seen that, that the people who trust in the greater treasure, the people who live in faith, the people who say, I want to take option B, that they see the blessings from afar and they greet it, that they acknowledge that they're strangers, that they speak in such a fashion. And verse 16, excuse me, verse 15, says, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. Keeping that illustration, if you take option B, and it's been six months, do you ever look back and say, you know what? I may want to return this for option A. Do you do that? Of course not. People who trust in the, ple- in the treasures that God gives us, we don't look back at the world either. That's essentially what he's saying. Faithful people don't look back. We keep our minds on the next land and we do not look back as what, at what this world has and what this world offers us. The faithful keep their minds and keep their hearts on the future promises. Because you know what? God promises option B to every single person. He offers eternal life and salvation to every single person. But you know what God does not do? God does not and will not force it upon anyone. God wants everyone to be saved. But not everyone will be saved. And it's not because of lack ability, God's ability to, to save. It's because of our inability to stick with God. That's what we do. We choose that option B at first. We're like, yeah, this is fun. This is cool. I'm gonna, this is better. And then it's like two weeks later, we're like, I don't know. I think I'm going to change my mind and, and go back. 
Faithful people don't look back. I want you to think about, in Genesis 19, God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, and God gives them one command as he's, as he's saving them. Remember the command God gives them? Don't look back. If you look back, you're going to die. And do you think that God couldn't have made it in a way that if they looked back, they would have lived? I think he could have. But I think the idea is, is that God didn't want them to look back. God did not want them to desire the city that they were leaving because the city that they were leaving was being destroyed because of his wickedness. And this world will be destroyed because of its wickedness. And God does not want us to try to walk to heaven and look back on the surf and say, I remember my home. I remember the friends that I had. I remember when I used to do, partake in this pleasure and do this thing. Because that's what we see a lot of Christians do. We see a lot of Christians trying to walk with God as they have their faces to this world. And if you're trying to walk to heaven with your eyes on the world, you won't get there. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. And we don't look back on this world. I want us to look at the last one. Verse 16, what the faithful do. What people who desire the greater treasure, what they do. It says, but as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. The faithful, those who trust in God's greater treasure, they desire a better place. I want you to think about, and I don't, when it says they desire, it's not like a, yeah, I would like that, that'd be cool. I think when it says desire, the idea of desire is they are working toward a better country. With the desire, it's the thing, think about the things that you most desire. You wake up in the morning and you think about it. And you go to bed at night and it's what you think about it throughout the day. It's what you're thinking about it and it's really what you're working toward because this is what you want most. That's what heaven needs to be for each and every one of us. That our greatest desire is to be with God. And do we see what the reward is? We talked about trusting in God's greater treasure and receiving the better reward. That reward is in verse 16. And, and I wasn't in y'all's Hebrews class or whatever. But to me, I think this is the real reward that God wants to give everybody. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. See, the reason why we choose option A, the reason why these Jewish Christians were wanting to go back to the world is because they were kind of ashamed of God. They didn't want to be kicked out of the synagogues. They felt weird not being able to hang out with their friends and their families. They were ashamed of Jesus Christ. And God is saying is that if you desire a better country, if what you want most is me, then I won't be ashamed of you either. And how great is that? I want you to think about your life. As I think about mine, and I think of all the shameful things that I've done, all the reasons I've given God to not want me, to not want to be around me, to not desire me, and he still has. And what God wants for me is he wants me to desire him. He wants me to not be ashamed of him. Because that's what sin is. Sin is we're ashamed of God. So we're going to stay away from him. Those who trust in the greater treasure realize that God is faithful. And God will bless us. Realize that he'll bless us if we stick with him. 
if we see him and we go toward him, if we say, God, I'm not ashamed of you. So we think about these, these characteristics that we need to have and what faith looks like, and we, that's not very easy to do, right? Like, if you have all of that down packed, show me so that I can do it too. Chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. As we think about this and we think about how hard this is, especially when the world is kind of going through the wide gate that leads to destruction. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, chapter 12, verse 1, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings us so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. You want to live in faith? You want to trust in that greater treasure. Follow the example of Christ. Because Jesus was the forerunner, but he also is the treasure that you receive. It's kind of funny the way that that works. It's kind of like the treasure came around you and he said, ah, look at what you're going to receive. Now follow me and do it my way. And that's what we get. And with Jesus, what he does is he shows us how to run the race. But he also enables us to run that race. If you're running a race, would you run with a backpack that has bricks inside? Of course not, because it's going to tie you down, it's going to wear you down, you're going to get tired. And when Jesus died on the cross, Jesus says, take that backpack off. Run. And when Jesus dies on the cross, essentially his cross is the finish line. And as long as we keep our eyes on him, and we keep running, We'll get there. Turn to Romans chapter 4. Again, the book of Hebrews was written to these Jewish Christians who were having a really hard time serving God. We're in the minority. No one else cares about you, God. No one else is trying to serve you. God, we can't do this. God, I can't do this. God, it's difficult. God, I'm without hope in this world. I want us to look at the example of Abraham. And I want us to look at one verse. Chapter 4, verse 18. Speaking of Abraham, it says, In hope he believed against hope. That he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so your offspring shall be. Do you see that beginning part of that verse? In hope, he believed against hope. Because against hope, was when Abraham was old and God promised him you're going to have a child, means when all else, when all the world is against you, and your back's against the wall, and you're feeling like, I can't do this and I can't make it, you know what Abraham continued to have? Hope in God. And this world is telling you that you can't make it. Your co-workers, through their lives, it may not be explicitly, but through their lives and through their example, they're telling you that you're going to be condemned to hell. You can't make it to heaven. 
that, that heaven and God is too far stretched. It's too far out from reach. And it's too difficult to change. It's too difficult to be different. Why even bother? Why even try? That's the against hope that we have. And you know what we need to continue to have? Hope in God. Trust in God. And faith in His greater treasure. Going back to that illustration. Then option A, you get the two quarters. The option B, you get a check that you can cash in. Check of a million dollars you have to cash in a year. So what if I offered you that option B, right? There's a check you can cash in a million years. I mean... Check of a million dollars, you can cash in a year. And what if I said, so you're going to have that check that you can cash in a year. Then here's also a million dollars that you can have right now. Which would you choose? I mean, obviously, option B becomes so much easier. And so God still offers you that check that you have to wait for, that eternal life. But then he also, he also says here, take the life of my son and have this. Have his blood. And you can know that I'm going to come through in the future. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to trust in him. We, we see the characteristics of how to trust in him. And we know that we can trust in God because God has always been faithful. If you're a Christian and you're not living the way that you should, it's a time to change. And that's what the book of Hebrews is for. The Hebrew writer is writing to Christians who weren't living the way that they should have been living. And he says, live different. Because Jesus is greater. Change because Jesus is greater. If you're not a Christian, you're still choosing option A. And why when option B is so much better? And we can receive option B by being baptized for the forgiveness of our sins and accepting Jesus Christ in our lives. If we can help you in any way, uh, you can stand forward as we stand and sing. Come forward as we stand and sing.
have just a 